just to thank, first of all, uh, uh, Scott Sherwood for his participation in our leadership conference there in Raleigh, North Carolina, or actually in North Carolina, not too far from Raleigh, the Ridgecrest Conference Center, uh, still receiving wonderful reports from, from that gathering in which we launched Journey of Grace, at least to, uh, at that time, it was SDMI, Sunday School Discipleship Ministries. Now it is NDI, Nazarene Discipleship International, so that it coincides with NMI and NMI, NYI and NMI. So we're learning to say it. Uh, so if I, I slip up or over the next year or two, uh, please grant grace to us. I also want to extend thank you for David Church and his partnership with us. I know he's probably not online right now, but over the years, uh, he has been just a great partner with, at that time, SDMI in and joining us actually and doing some training for our district NDI leaders at a number of, of events. So uh, we certainly appreciate the partnership we've had with with uh, NP, NBC and um, uh, share the same, really the, the same mission. Our mission does include the younger generations, uh, youth and, and children, but nonetheless, our heart and our, the core of our mission is exactly the same. I just wanna share, these are unique times. We've all gone to them. That's why we're using Zoom, isn't it? Um, we have over the last two years and even prior to that, our time has been filled with a series of health and financial, social and political crisis. Um, it seems like the chain of cha challenges and changes will never end. And we're living in a different culture since post COVID. Emotions, as you probably have experienced are on the edge and trust of others, even within the church has declined. And some people believe we've Entering, entering a new age of tribalism in which our circle of trust only extends to those that we personally know. And I have to admit, it's been a challenge for me to live in the promise of one of my favorite passages of scripture found in Philippians, the fourth chapter, verses four through nine. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I'm doing better with the praying, but struggling a little bit with the thanksgiving and thinking about all the lovely, admirable, and praiseworthy things at, at times. Uh, so God's still working on me, like I'm sure he's working with you, though I shouldn't speak for you. Um, you're probably like me. I've received many surveys over the over the past several years, revealing that Christianity is now being viewed more negatively by the people uh, that are in our culture, in our nation than ever before. And to reach those people who have turned their back on Christ in the church, uh, we're finding that we're needing to adjust how we reach out to him. We need to change our methodologies. And that's one reason for the name of change in SDMI to Discipleship Ministries. It's not that we're giving up on certain methodologies such as Sunday school and small groups. It's just that we're 
uh, honoring the true mission of that in those missions, whatever those methodologies are, they are to lead into discipleship and making of Christ-like disciples. So uh, we're making that adjustment so people look beyond the methodology to the actual goal of, of our mission. And I've been learning some lessons from my son. My son graduated last year with a degree in computer engineering from K-State. And he has a group of friends from the university they meet with weekly online. And yearly they go off and find and get together personally at a location. And only one of those friends is a professing Christian. Uh, my wife and I were a bit concerned about those gatherings, uh, uh, wondering who is influencing whom. And what we've learned by talking with Jeremy is that he is participating in these gatherings and maintaining these friendships as a way of influencing and witnessing to them. Uh, he saw the meetings both via the internet and in persons as ways of revealing the truth about Christianity and Christ through constant and continuous, honest and caring dialogue. So we as a couple, my wife and I pray for his influence. And uh, we hope that through those interactions, he helps to bring the transforming grace of God to these men uh, who are influential in those in the areas that they work. Um, not too long ago, I came across an example of God's transforming grace via personal influence in a letter written by a nine-year-old boy who was named Jordan. Asked to write about his father, Jordan chose to write about his grandfather for reasons that will become obvious. Jordan writes, the dad in my life really isn't my dad. He's my grandpa, but he's been like a dad to me. Four months before I was born, my real father left my mother. Grandpa drove 400 miles to come get my mom and me and brought us back to Minnesota. He took care of my mom until I was born. And when I came home from the hospital, there was a cradle that grandpa made just for me. Someday my kids will sleep in that cradle. When I was a baby, I cried a lot at night. Grandpa would walk me around and around the kitchen table. He rocked me to sleep. He was my first babysitter. Now I'm nine years old and grandpa is my best buddy. We do all lots, we do lots of things together. We go to zoos, museums, and parks. We watch baseball games on TV. We even have check mix together, just the two of us. When I was four, my grandpa spent a whole summer building me a house, a playhouse and a, with a big sandbox underneath. He made me a tire swing and pushes me lots of times. He pushes me real high, way over his head. Now he spends all of his time building new rooms on our house so that mom and I will have our own apartment. I like living with my grandma and grandpa. We live out in the country with lots of room to play and fly kites. If we didn't live with gran in, at grandpa's house, we would have to live in a little apartment in town and I wouldn't, I, couldn't be, I wouldn't be able to have my dog, my two house cats, my barn cats and my gerbils. My grandpa doesn't like cats very much, but he lets me keep two cats in the house and he buys lots of cat foods and feeds the barn cats even when it's really cold outside. My grandpa used to be a boy scout and now he helps me with Cub Scouts. He helped me build my pine box derby car and, is going, and he's going to camping, going on camping with me this summer. He likes to tell me about things that happened when I was a little boy and when my mom and uncle were little. My grandpa is really patient. When he is busy building things, he always takes the time to start a nail so that I can pound it in. After spending all day moving 
mowing our big lawn. He is really tired, but he still will hook my, my wagon up to the lawnmower and drive me all over the place. My grandpa loves Jesus and he wants me to learn about him too. Sometimes people on TV talk about the kids from single parent families. I'm not one of them because I have three parents in my family. And I hope as I get older, grandpa will teach me all the stuff he knows about wood and first aid and everything else he knows about. Grandpa, my grandpa isn't my father, but I wouldn't trade him for all the dads in the world. Never underestimate the power of your influence. Never underestimate the way God creatively answers the needs and desires of a child through a loving grandparent. God's love vested through a father, a mother, a sister, a brother, or another relative cannot only, will not only or cannot only change a life, it can give a future. And Jordan has a bright future physically and spiritually because of the intentional influence of a grandfather who loves sacrificially. We live in a world in which influence and effectiveness is often measured in likes and views. Uh, those who don't have extraordinary looks or talents or skills are made to feel inadequate. However, God doesn't measure personal value and influence that way. Just look at the influence of Shamgar, one of the judges mentioned in the Old Testament. There's only one verse that summarizes his period in leadership. Judges 3, 31 says, after Ehud came Shamgar, the son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. Who was Shamgar? He was a third judge of Israel whose historic actions led to peace in Israel for an unspecified period of time. What is an ox goad? Well, simply a prod used to guide ox. Only one verse tells the story. His story is annexed between Ehud and Deborah. Both of those stories are told extensively. So why is this verse inserted in the book of Judges? Why is Shamgar mentioned at all within, without giving any other detail to the readers? Shamgar was a judge, but without personal flair of Ehud or with or Deborah, whose acts of hero, heroism were very public and dramatic. And those acts of both Deborah and Ehud were very public and dramatic. Could it be that the lack of his lack, that Shambar's lack of family connections, kept the story of heroism, heroism to one verse? Or could it be that Shamgar served with quiet consistency of a grateful widow that Jesus noticed who offered two mites in a temple offering? I believe Shamgar is mentioned with divine intentionality. Most of us will not know the impact of our influence. Our life path may not take us to a platform where our fight for the faith will be seen by the masses. We may engage, we may engage war against sin and evil and obscurity and God alone will only know the significance. Our actions of love and caring may go unnoticed and unappreciated even by the recipient our words of encouragement and wisdom may not give birth to faithful courage and transformation until years later. Most of us know that because we raise children. I'm reminded of a story that a friend shared with me some years ago. He shared how the influence of a godly Sunday school teacher changed his life decades later. 
He writes, early on Saturday, my wife woke me. She was having labor pains. After several pains and several calls to the doctor, it was time to head to the hospital. After hours of hurting and crying in the labor room, at 10.30 p.m., she went into the delivery room. I was pushed out of the way by the doctor and asked to go to the waiting room. What was about to happen to me changed not only my life, but my wife's life as well. I was not a Christian, and, difficult, and the difficulties of birth and parenthood, parenthood terrified me. The television in the waiting room was on a commercial plane, uh, com with, with, had a commercial plane on it, with, which was all about birth, birth defects, not a comfort to me at that time. The pregnancy was not without problems, so many unpleasant thoughts were going through my mind as I sat in that waiting room. Then, in that waiting room while my wife was giving birth, I remember the words of my kindergarten Sunday school teacher. Week in and week out, she would say, God loves a desperate man. If you're ever in trouble, call on Jesus. At that moment, I realized I was nothing. I couldn't change or control what had happened in any given circumstance. It was just not in my ability. The thought scared me, but I took her advice. I started to pray. I prayed that God would bring our baby into the world as a healthy child and that he or she would be perfect, not only in my eyes, but in his. Then came the moment for which I had waited. A nurse called my name and I walked out through two big double doors. There was my wife in bed and with a baby in her arms and she was fine and we had a baby boy. I was filled with joy. After making sure all everything was all right, I left the hospital to celebrate. I had a box of cigars in my car and I was headed to the nearest bar. As I got into my car, something told me that if I went to the bar, all those prayers in the waiting room would be just words. With that on my mind, I went home instead. I cried and I prayed. Finally, I called my sister, who is a Christian, and after telling her what happened to me and how I felt, I asked her just how I might thank the Lord for what he had done in answering my prayers. She said, John, he just doesn't want, he, does, he doesn't just want your thanks. What he wants is for you to give him your life and to live your life for him. That night in my living room of my home, I gave myself and my life to Jesus Christ. I told the Lord that if he would forgive me, I would do whatever he wanted me to do and do and go wherever he wanted me to go and say whatever he wanted me to say. Thank God for Sunday school teachers. I am so grateful for a kindergarten teacher who continuously said God loves a desperate man and he loves a desperate man will call in when they're in trouble on Jesus. I am now 30 plus years in my ministry as a pastor and I'm continuing to fill that promise I made to God over 40 years ago. The truth is whether you're a Sunday school teacher, a professor, a counselor, a secretary, a parent, a grandparent, a brother or sister, you will never know the side of heaven, the full impact of your words and your actions. You may not be welding an ox code, but you've been given talents and opportunities to make an internal difference in a life. You too 
may save Israel. Shamgar is a biblical example of God working through one person to change the lives of many. And I believe the story applies to us today, wherever we may be. We are called to live for God. Never underestimate the value of your influence. And you may keep, may want to keep an ox goat by your side at all times. Amen.